0: If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of guests. Good, good guests. Good. Been paying attention, class. We're going to chapter 9 tonight. This, uh, this girl came home from college and she brought her boyfriend. And... Uh, He had tattoos and piercings all over him, leather jacket and, you know, just rough looking kind of guy. And After he'd been there a little while, the house, her mom was very concerned, took her aside to the study and shut the door and she said, sweetheart, he just doesn't seem like a very nice guy. She said, mom, what's not nice about him? He's doing 500 hours of community service. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, that's all I got. I just saw that earlier today. and eh, I'll just tell that one tonight. Okay. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I tell the truth, he says. I tell the truth in Christ. Everybody say "In in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Say in the Holy Spirit. I tell the truth in Christ, and my conscience bears witness to me in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. I want to say something to you tonight uh, that you might know, might have heard before, or maybe this might be a first thought to you, and that is that your conscience isn't necessarily your friend. And more often times... Uh, than not, it is not, your friend. Uh, you hear people say things like, just let your conscience guide you, right? I want to say, don't let your conscience guide you, okay? Because your conscience does not work according to the Spirit. Your conscience is in the soulish realm. It's in the realm of what we feel, what we imagine, what we think, uh, what we decide, those kinds of things, our will, Uh Paul, think about it for a moment, if it's about conscience, Paul was following his conscience when he was killing Christians and trying to destroy the church. And in in, in his sect, he was doing it in the name of God, all right? These ISIS freaks, these terrorists who are beheading Americans, they're doing that Because their conscience is telling them it's the right thing to do. So, we don't always follow our conscience. All right, Osama bin Laden thought he was doing the right thing. He was following his conscience. So, we understand, okay, there's got to be a better gauge for truth then, huh? People are doing a lot of things for conscience sake, but it doesn't make it the right thing. So, you're not... To be guided by your conscience, we are to be guided by the Spirit. And we are in control to make our conscience obey and come in subjection to the Holy Spirit. That's why he's saying, my conscience also bearing witness, how? In the Holy Spirit. All right. Think about this. Right, Let's go to Hebrews 10 for for a second. This is a deep verse 1 already. For the law having a shadow, this is Hebrews 10.1, having the shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Now what he's talking about is the, the Jewish system of sacrifices, uh, that they did slaughter animals all day long, bulls and goats and the and lamb in the morning and a lamb at twilight uh, just to appease the wrath of God and to cover the matter, not to settle the issue, but to cover the matter. All right, verse 2, look at this. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. What this is saying is, if those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, if, if they could do enough to finally purify them from their sins, then at that point their conscience, their sin conscience would be gone. All right? Watch. Three. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every time they slaughtered one more animal, it was a reminder of their failure. All right? And so that's as as far as they could get, just continually being reminded in those sacrifices which could not cure them. It could, like I said, only put a Band-Aid on the wound. Next. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now, we're going to jump down to verse 11, the same chapter here. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. I mean, what a vicious cycle they have found themselves in, Right? Just doing and doing and doing, but really not accomplishing anything. All right. Next, but this man. Oh, I love this part. But this man. This that phrase right there changes everything. All those little things that you see in the scriptures. But God. But this man. You're about to hear something really good when you see a phrase like this. But this man. Everybody shout. But this man. But the, after he had offered how many? One sacrifice for sins. How long? Forever not just for the day, not to get him through the next week or the next year, but forever sat down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Verse 13, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, 14, for by, come on, one offering he has perfected, how long? forever those who are being sanctified hallelujah those who are in the process right now those who are walking by faith right now you are already perfect he has perfected you by that one sacrifice means he doesn't have to shed one more drop of blood because he didn't cover sins he took them away and so I want us all to understand tonight that a guilty conscience is not a right conscience that's what these guys dealt with. You have a whole other reality in your life right now. You have the once for all sacrifice that did purify you as a worshiper. So that way, sin consciousness would not even be a reality in your life. Wow. So what, how do we do that? How do we get rid of sin consciousness? You thank God for the blood of Jesus. You really believe that he took away all of your sins. And that he's no longer angry at sin. He's no longer angry at you. And he's there seated. And knowing that Christ is seated means it's all done. The, the priest had to stand continually to continue to make sacrifices. But he sat down just so you can know it's over. This priest sat down. The, the issue is settled. So that your conscience can be clear. Because you are Purified. Through His sacrifice. Okay, let's go back to Romans. I hope that it blessed you tonight. It really blessed me today. I was shouting to myself in my bedroom, studying verse two that I have watched that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Wow, for I wish, for I could wish, I, sh- I should say, that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul Paul's saying, if it were possible, which it's not. I would trade my own, think about this, I would trade my own immortal soul to see my brothers come to Christ. Wow. See, this is the heart of the true ministry of Jesus. Paul is expressing really the heart of God. Jesus willed himself accursed. He willed himself separated from God to bring us into the family of God. Think about that for a moment. Would you, Derek? Would you, would you, uh, would you, if it was possible, go to hell so a hundred people could be saved? I I think so. I wouldn't. (laughs) You're better than me. (laughs) Would you do it for two hundred people? How about a thousand? How about your entire, the entire town that you live in? Would you do it for an entire town? Would you go to hell for eternity so that the entire town could be saved? I don't know what you're saying. My answer is no. I'm not doing it. I'm, I am not doing it. That's why I go Paul. I don't I I don't get it. That's not possible that, that would happen, but he has such a yearning for us. But think about the think about the thing that grips his heart, the souls of his brothers, And that he expresses. If I, I if I could wish that I could, I'm just getting out there letting you know. I don't know how else to express this, but I want to see my people saved. It, it must have driven Paul nuts to see covenant people not in the covenant. And it so gripped him, and of all the things that Paul was really quite joyful about most of the time, we see this deep and continual sorrow and grief for his own people. He just couldn't get over that. Wow. Look at verse 4. Who are, who are Israelites to whom pertain, watch, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God—service of God meaning uh, what what the what the Levites did in the temple, uh, with the sacrifices and those things, and the promises. So everything, what that verse teaches us in just those few words is that everything that God uh, had ever done to connect to man, He did this through the Jews: the covenants, the promises, the glory, the adoption. That all came through the Jews. Wow. Hey, Jesus came to us through Jews, didn't he? As a matter of fact, he didn't just come as a man. He came as a Jewish man. God still has his heart after the Jews. If he didn't, Paul wouldn't be expressing this kind of grief, this kind of sorrow for his people, longing to see them saved. And you know what? Nothing has changed from that day until this day that's still the same. That, that reality has not changed from Paul to here now. I mean, there have been different dispensations, right? Thank God for the dispensation of Christ who came and took away all of our sins. I'm glad to be part of that dispensation of grace. And then and then a, another dispensation took place through Cornelius when the first Gentile convert that got to come into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We're all grateful for that today. But, but nothing about this has changed since Paul. Wow, it's still in the heart of God. Look at verse 6, but it, it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. That's an interesting thing. What is Paul saying here? Who is he talking about? They are not all Israel who are of Israel. You remember the story um, where Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter four, and where was this woman from? Samaria. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. That's why it really stuck in their craw when Jesus gave the story of the good Samaritan and made the Samaritan the good guy in the story. Because as far as the Jews were concerned, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. Because they called them half-breeds or any other derogatory term because they were half-Jews. And they despised them even worse than the Gentiles. Considered them the scum of the earth, the flotsam and jetsam of society, if you will. And they were the disciples were shocked. Remember, it says they were astonished that Jesus was talking to this woman, even giving her the time of day. Why would Jesus talk to her? Because Jesus considered her a daughter of Jacob, and she was. He was right. He said, "I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." She was part of his mission. So who is he talking about then? It's not them, and it's not us, the Israelites who are not of Israel. I have a feeling, just have a feeling here, that Paul is actually talking about himself in his prior life. These Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees that Jesus regularly called hypocrites. And even even summed it all up in John chapter 8 when he looked at them and said, You are of your father, the devil. Wow. That's not good news coming from Jesus to you. You need to make a change at that point. Think about it. I mean, they they religionize themselves right out of these covenants, these promises, the glory, the adoption. You can get so religious as to not know God anymore. Because religion is not the knowledge of God. Verse 7. This Let me just say this, and I can already tell by your reaction. This is pretty theological, this chapter is, and I'm going to have to go a little deep with you tonight. Are you all right with that? We're just studying the Scripture, and I, this is where we are. Verse 7. Nor are all, Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. This is... Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed, and we're all grateful for that, that it wasn't about the natural seed, it was about us believing. It was about our faith in God, and Abraham started all that. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, hallelujah, and all of us are made children by the same way, by Faith in God. Hallelujah. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also con- had conceived, had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Now listen to this for children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil what this is teaching us is about our salvation that is not dependent upon those being good or being evil all right but it's about him calling us now watch so let me just say this you were called by the gospel that's how you were called you heard the gospel remember what the scripture says how then will they call on him of whom they have not Believed and how they shall believe. On, I'm sorry. Put my. I, I tricked you. Whom they have not believed and how they shall shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher who is the voice of that God in heaven calling out to us through the gospel. Amen. So you were ordained to a, to a eternal life. Uh, you were called by the gospel, but you were ordained to eternal life. And not as an individual. This is so good. You were ordained to eternal life in Christ. All right? So, so that no man could ever boast that he got there of his own works. That we are all in Christ eternal beings. God preordained. Remember, he was slain before the foundation of the world. God preordained Christ to die to be buried, to rise again from the dead, and to ascend to the Father and sit down at His right hand. That's why the Bible says that we are all seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Imagine that. How many of you woke up in North Texas today? Yeah, You woke up in North Texas, but but you were seated. Even as you woke up in North Texas, you were also seated with Christ in heavenly places places, woo, hallelujah, you woke up seated there already, by virtue of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God seated you there with him, you see how powerful this salvation is, how great a salvation this is now, being hidden in him, being in Christ, this isn't about you hoping, oh, I hope I make it, no, you're already there, you already made it, In Christ, not of your own way, but in Him. This This is what this is talking about. God, wow. And God preordained Jesus. This is what's amazing to me, to be seated next to Him as a man. So that already proves to us, before we ever even came here, God had already forgiven us. God had already preordained His Son to sit at His right hand. The fact that Jesus became a man is proof that God forgave us of our sins. Before He ever even got to that cross, the fact that God would become a man, He would go to that measure, that length, think about it, and identify with us, lets us know we are in really good graces with Him. That He would become like us was proof already that He had forgiven us. My goodness. He preordained us in Jesus. He preordained Jesus, the man at his right hand, then all those who believe on him are preordained to in him. Amen. Wow. This sounds like really good news to me. It sounds like really good news. Yeah, it is. It's not about acting right. My children didn't have to act right to become my kids. But because they are my kids, they're going to act a certain way. That's really good preaching, isn't it, Laurel? Yeah. (laughs) Verse 12, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau... I have hated. Now, let me help you understand this. This isn't hate in the way that we know hate, all right? You remember when Jesus said, he who hates his, if you want to follow me, right? You're going to have to hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your family. Like, wow, really? No, he's making a comparison. Jesus is not promoting hatred. We know that, all right? But he's talking about in comparison to our love for him, it's going to look like hate. (laughs) And in comparison to to Esau, uh, uh, Jacob, Esau, wow. Esau was a profane man. The scripture says that he despised his birthright. He despised his father's blessing. This is how much he despised his father's blessing, that he was hungry one day and he told his brother, make me, give me a bowl of those beans that you're making. And he said, give me your birthright. What's that to me? Here, just give me the beans. He sold the blessing to his brother for a pot of beans. And poor Jacob always gets denigrated for being the bad guy in that story. If he's such the bad guy, why does God keep blessing him? If he's the thief, if if he's the deceiver, why does God love him but hates Esau? Huh? And then Esau has the audacity to try to go steal his birthright back. The truth is, That's really a message of anti-Semitism, people who denigrate Jacob. They really don't like Jews, is what they're saying. And they cloak their bigotry in in talking him down on him. Yeah, okay. That's the truth. It's the truth. I want to read, uh, ring up 913 in the Amplified. Watch this. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated, held in relative disregard in comparison with my feeling for Jacob. Now, we get a better understanding God's just not throwing out hate to somebody. All right? All right, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. See, this is the realm that God gets all by himself. This is what separates him from us right here, all right? This is what makes him God. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared, declared on all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and on who, and whom he wills, he hardens. Now, let me explain what that means. There's a few places in Scripture where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Then there's also a few places where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And both things are true. And this is how it's true. How, I mean, how did God do that? How did God harden his heart? It's just simply that God shined his light down upon him intensely. And what happens is, if we were to take a piece of wax and a piece of clay, and set it out there in the summer sun, both of those things are going to react differently to the sun. One will become soft, one will become hard. So it's already predisposed in the man's heart uh, by his response to God. When God shines up on him, then what is in his heart will either harden or it will soften. We, I had a friend years ago uh, when my dad was pastoring out in West Texas, and um, she came out of a, a denominational church that didn't believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit, and you know, especially the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And, but she had, she had received it after she'd been coming to church for a while and, and received the infilling of the Spirit and, and was very excited about it. Well, her mother came to town to visit her one Sunday, and she was excited to bring her to church. And it just so happened that day that my dad preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which this lady was not excited about that at all. She was not happy about it. And uh, so my friend told her mom, Mom, he doesn't only preach on that. I know you probably think that, but he preaches on a lot of other things. Today, he just happened to preach on the baptism of the Spirit. So her mom kind of calmed down. All right, all right. So a year goes by, and she comes back to visit her daughter and comes to church, and lo and behold, dad preaches on the baptism of the Holy Spirit again. And so now she's upset. She's like, okay, did you talk to him? Did you tell him I was coming? She's like, mom, are you serious? No, I didn't do that. No I, didn't. no, I promise you, he preaches other things. It's just coincidence that you happen to show up again this Sunday. Well, ladies and gentlemen, another year goes by. She comes again with her husband, who are both very staunch in the way they believe. And wouldn't you know it? John Holler preaches on the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet again. I mean, three years in a row. And her mother is beside herself. She's furious. She leaves there feeling like that she has been set up. I mean, she was, and and, and so my friend's like, Mom, I promise you, really? You think I would do that? I would go to those kinds of links and, and and have some coup with the pastor to preach to you? I mean, come on. And then she said, my friend said, I realize i got to stop trying to defend my pastor. She said, as I looked at this whole thing, it finally dawned on me, Mom, do you not see the miracle here? That maybe God's trying to get your attention? Maybe He's trying to talk to you about this? Have you ever thought about that? Well, see, but the heart was hardening instead of softening. It happens. You You can preach the gospel to somebody. Anybody told somebody the gospel and they got mad at you? Huh? Yeah. But sometimes if you'll just pursue with love, that heart will soften or sometimes it will just... This is what this is talking about. God hardens the heart because man's heart is predisposed to harden. And it's revealed when God shines his light on it. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But... Indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? This is good. Well, the thing formed, say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Anybody ever said that, maybe? (laughs) Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Now, let me just say this for just a moment. He's giving an example here. Paul is not telling us that God makes some people for honor, some people for dishonor. You want to, okay, let's go to another passage of Scripture because I feel like you don't believe me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I just wanted to say that. All right, let's go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. I didn't give you this Scripture, did I, Brooke? I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter, but she found it. Can we give Brooke a big hand tonight? What a marvelous... What a wizard on that computer. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Watch, 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor. Oh, okay. All right, so the vessel has become dishonorable. And that vessel that is dishonoring can also become a vessel of honor by choice. By cleansing himself, watch, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, this is not say that you can save yourself. It's saying you can make yourself useful for the master. Notice all the vessels are in the house, all right? They're all there. I mean, As a Christian, we're going to heaven, but it uh, doesn't mean that we're all necessarily useful. There can be vessels sitting on the, I don't want to be a vessel sitting on the shelf that the master goes, boy, I wish I could use that. He says we cleanse ourselves. We sanctify, make ourselves ready. How? How do we do that? By our actions, by our thoughts, our words, our actions. Our value was already determined by him. He's the one who brought us into the house, but our usefulness for him is determined by us. Yeah. All right? So God doesn't make some people to be vessels of dishonor. They're not they're not preordained to do that. Otherwise, there's some kind of evil in God if He did that. Okay, I'll we'll make sure you heard that. Uh, when you go to India, you know you know about the Hindu caste system. That there's four levels: one, two, three, and four. Anybody here you know what I'm talking about? And that whatever. Cast you were born in, and these are basically their, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Socioeconomic level, okay? Uh, And so if you're born at a level one or two, according to how much pay you make, that's where you stay the rest of your life. And you marry people within that caste. A One cannot marry a four. All right? And so whatever you're born in, that's what you're stuck with the rest of your life. This is not. What God did. God did not create you so that you could not grow and increase. Yeah. All right? You see, you see what I'm talking about? All of us had a beginning, and, and we grow according to, like I said, however we may want to make ourselves useful. Yeah. We can be as big and large and increase as we want to be because he yeah. has given us this thing called faith. Hallelujah. And our faith yeah. in God opens us up to the limitless realm. What if God, now listen, got to read the language here. He's giving what ifs and if I could wish, all right? What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? What if? And that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He, what, called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Thank the Lord. He called not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. As he also says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you did not leave us out in the darkness. Thank you that you didn't leave us separated, strangers to covenants, strangers to these promises. But you called us by your glory. You called us by your gospel. You opened your arms to the entire world. Thank you for that. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant the remnant shall be saved will be saved for he will finish the work i love this and cut it short in righteousness wow what took years and years of people just just getting along just getting along in life god cut that work short in righteousness says now believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved all that work none of it was about works anymore it's all about faith in god Cut it short and right because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. We're in that place right now. That's where we're living right now, the short work of salvation. It's an instantaneous moment when you believe on him. You are born all over again. Hallelujah. And as I said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have been, become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What then shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, watch, have attained a righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it, how? By faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, otherwise known as the Lord Jesus Christ. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Line up everybody that's self-righteous, righteous righteous by their own works, and none of them will attain to the righteousness which God requires. But faith in him for us who weren't even pursuing righteousness, weren't even trying to live right, but one day we heard the gospel and said, I believe that. God says, that's the righteousness I'm looking for. That's the righteousness that makes you right with me. That brings peace into your life, peace into our relationship. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this time together with your glorious people. Thank you for your glorious church. The church is being built. The church is increasing. Lord, I know that when we look in this, we look in the world, there's so much turmoil. There's so much trouble. But Father God, we have a message that will save the world. We have a message that will turn whole households around. And I thank you also, Lord, even in this time when there's great transition even in the church. And, and, and a large part of the church is truly dying, and I'm pretty grateful for that, actually, so that the gospel will be preached, that men's efforts and men's ideologies and men's philosophies and men's traditions, Lord, will all fall to the side, and Jesus Christ will be glorified in the earth. Lord, we're just on the cusp of that that trembling, that tremor becoming an earthquake, Lord, of an awakening for our nation as well as the nations of the world We know that it's this gospel that does it. May we stay firm in it, strong in it, bold in it, confident in it, Lord. And may we declare it, Lord, freely wherever we go that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and God raised him from the dead. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. You and all your household shall be saved when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you that you called us into this grace. Thank you, God, that you grafted us into this vine, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you made us sons and daughters in the kingdom of God by faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that right now, as we sit here tonight, we are in him, up there, seated with him. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for your blessing on your people as they go from here tonight. And I pray, even as Paul prayed, that grace and peace would be multiplied, to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11, and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.